Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm really excited because of what we've developed in one contract property in literally changing generational wealth for everybody across Australia. So they can they can now choose some really high quality cash flow properties inside their superannuation. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Sharm and in this episode, we're back with Raymond Hempstead the Managing Director of One Contract Property. After an accident that ended his 16 years in accounting, he put his mind over matter and tried a few careers for size until he found the one for him. Now he's golden goose, he and his family are set to be eating golden eggs for generations to come. After putting in the hard yards to recover from his accident and trying out some new career prospects, he tried his hand at shop fitting for a limited time only. The role was commission only rather than a salary or even an hourly pay rate. Despite his employer being an amazing tradesman, the working relationship just wasn't meant to be. I ended up employing a range of people um, on behalf of the shop fitting business and then um, I suppose subbing them back to the shop fitting business. And then we had a disagreement on pay because I was on commission only and as I was growing, um, there was a situation where we had a disagreement. He didn't, he didn't honour his commitment in one of those. Um, and then I, I said, okay, that's the first and last time. Um, and we, I ended up walking away. And over the next um, six or eight months, that business slowly went down. Um, and I, during that period of time, I also... Um, started working with a, another company with another a business partner he ended up being um, in demolition so working to sell the shops and then another business that um, i started working with and ended up owning 50 percent of we were then demolishing the shops in the retail settings jill mill was my business partner there we ended up actually own ended up um, buying um, the shop fitting business off the previous owner and then moving ahead with that side of it with his time in shop fitting Hampstead has experience in both residential and retail spaces. Shop fitting is often a costly exercise, but on the flip side, it's also a much quicker process than with a residential renovation. When you're looking at, like, I'm not sure about your shops, when you're looking at two to $600,000 for a shop fit out, and that, if you're looking at comparing that to a house and it's a, a, a six-month process for a house and getting tradies on-site and then off-site and all the rest of it, Similar sort of tradies coming into site, like you've got the floor, you've got the walls, you've got the ceiling, you've got all the services, um, everything else. But I suppose the big difference there was, one, you're paying a lot more because 
when you when you have the one trade in, you know your project management team have to know that once the electric electricians are roughed in, the plasterers are coming in on this day, literally the next day. Like you don't have a huge window, um, so you're paying premiums to get the tradies there on site at the time you want them, because as you know, with Westfield, you have got a limited window of, of build time, and after that, you'll start paying rent. Um, and so, and also, you have a limited window of when you can work. So it, it was that that was very interesting seeing how it all pump comes together and the, the project management, um, the building process when you're on site, seeing the construction come through, very very much similar to a house, but you're inside a, inside a shopping centre rather than outside. <laughs> People always say like, we're spending five hundred thousand dollars for the fit out. We've just spent five hundred thousand building a house. Like, like where's the comparison? But that house took six to eight months and this shop took four weeks to actually get every get all the trades in and every yeah it, it is it is an eye-opener when you you play in that space he was then hit hard with some well-known businesses that went down which signaled the beginning of the end of that portion of his personal life we had dick smith as one of our major clients and then woolies decided to clo- close that down so we lost that as a big client um and then we had a we had some other people that owed us a lot of money um, and so in the end, um, both Jamil and myself, we ended up losing everything about 15, 16 years ago. So we again, we started back from zero. You sit down, you lick your wounds and what are you going to do from there? Where he went from there was demolition as it was an area where he could make money fairly quickly. But this time, previously I was... I was doing cost and motion studies and I was doing the, the sales and the accounting and that side of it. This time it was actually me going out and selling it because it was like, again, I had to make money, so what do I do? And back then we had, we had access to be able to do airport work, so being able to build, um, build and demolish in the airports, land side and air side. Um, so the first, I said, Lee, what do I do? I can make some good money in demolition, in retail demolition. So I went out and sold during the day and then I strapped on the tool belt at night um, and then started with a team of boys doing demolition of retail shops at night. So for the next five years, um, I was selling during the day. Then I was rocking up on site at six o'clock at night with the trucks and tools and we'd do demolition until two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, And then we rinsed and repeat that for seven days a week for the next five years. How did you have time to, to take even a break and sleep then and, and family? I'd gone back to zero again and my commitment was always to look after my family. Um, at that stage, I had three kids in private schools. Again, my wife's a full-time mum. Now, during this period of time, even though she's always been a full-time mum, she's been in and out of the businesses helping us um, over the years as well as where she could. So when the kids were at school, she'd come in and do a bit of work with us. Um, and so that, that's always been a blessing. So during that period of time, it was, you know, I didn't see the family very much. I couldn't imagine 2 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> you get your sleep and then you're back out again. It comes back like, what, what's your goal? What's your dream? What, what are you, why are you doing, why are you investing? Like, why are you looking to invest? Like, and for me, it was, my family's always been the major motivator, um, for, you know, like nice cars and nice things, but it's my family and supporting my family and seeing my family grow and giving them the best opportunities. And so that's always been, whether, whether it's investing in property or business, um, it's always been, my family's been the motivator. So when I was, I was working 18, 22 hour days for a long time, it was like, 
you'd, you'd, on, like, you'd get to, um, you might be midnight and, midnight and you're sitting on a jackhammer, jackhammering a concrete floor up. And it's like, why the hell am I doing this? And I was like, no, no, I'm doing it because of X, Y, and Z. And so because of the, the goals and dreams that I had, they, that actually pushed me through and pulled me through some of the really, really hard times physically and mentally um, that I went through. You really have to understand why, why, why you're doing what you're doing. And if there, there was a saying I had he'd heard years ago, if the dream's big enough, the facts don't count. Like you just get out and do what you got to do. You might think he'd have taken a break at that point, but Hempstead pushed on all the way to Italy. We actually kept on going. I ended up having um, some project managers on site and so I wasn't on site at night as much anymore after that. Um, but you're right, it, it is a hard slog. Like I'd still, my phone was always on. Like I, I went to Italy with the family um, during that period of time for holiday and Again, my phone was on, my, I had a team here in Australia working and I remember we were walking through the Coliseum and my phone went off and it was my, I looked at it, it was my site manager back here in Australia and so I took the call because it was in the middle of the night here and I missed half of the tour of the Coliseum because of focusing on, um, focusing on that side of the business. So... Um, so, yeah, there were some challenges, some good times, but then it came to a point where, yeah, it was tiring. I had to look at something else. Could I continue doing it at that pace anymore? And that's, that's where I made the decision, okay, I'll go back and get my real estate license because um, I had let, like, yeah, so got, went back and got that and I started into property aggregation because I always loved real estate. I saw the potential in it and the ability to make money um, in real estate. Uh, so then, yeah, it was, I suppose my my wife laughed at me because she said, like, Raymond, like, <laughs> years ago. <laughs> then I got back into actually providing land and house packages for accountants and financial planners and for marketers that were selling it to end investors um, in that side. So getting getting back into it at that stage. And when was that time period? Like, which year did you jump back into real estate? Um, that was about um, six years ago. And since then, that's that's been what you've been doing for the last six years. Yeah, we we did that up until about three years ago. Um, like we've still got that business going, but it's more in the back back burner now. What we had happen yeah, about three years ago, I had we'd sold some NDIS properties. Now I love it. I, one of the businesses I had would in in the past was dealing with kids that have been taken away from their parents because of abuse and neglect, and then we started getting into disability services. Um, so when I when I was involved when I saw the NDIS and how it was being done. Um, and I am very selective on how I do this, by the way, um, because there are some opportunities out there with NDIS and they're being incorrectly promoted. Um, but we had we had a couple of clients purchased an NDIS, two NDIS properties, and the land wasn't registered. And this is um, start of January 2020. They came to me and said, um, we want to put this into our self-managed super fund. And... I looked at it. Have you got your self-managed super fund set up? Uh, they hadn't. So for those two deals, I lost those two deals, which financially hurt me a bit. But what what it did do, it it highlighted to me the ability or the lack of ability and lack of choice people had if they wanted to build property inside their super fund. Now, from my from my accounting background, it was 
a lot of a lot of people do this correct. Some people don't. It's like it's not how much money you earn; it's how much money you keep, and that that comes back to using our tax laws and our, and the structuring of companies, family trusts, etc., in how you buy your properties, which is really important. And you need to get around um, some good professionals that can guide you along that path to make sure your tax treatment of those is the best it can be. And so you need to do that before you purchase. Looking at the superannuation, superannuation tax-wise is the best. Like it's 15%. Um, so in, in looking at that, if if I wanted to invest in my, using my super, I did not have the same ability of choice as what I could do outside of super. And that at, at that point in time, that highlighted to me and that then started me down the path of um, what we do now every day. Coming up after the break, he delves into super and why it may be just wishful thinking. The way we've been sold super at the moment is, okay, put your 10.5% in your industry super fund and in the next 30 or 40 years, it'll increase. How generational wealth is actually a possibility and more than just a catchphrase. Generational, now we're actually changing the mentality. He explains what a karma investment is and how you could help to improve people's lives and your own finances at the same time. It will make you good return if it's done correctly. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hempstead has a big bias for property and a keen interest in super. He focuses on three distinct approaches, each with their own distinct set of goals. Short and medium, it's building your wealth, but it's stuff that you can, it's income that you can use while you, before you retire. The long term is how you're going to, how you're going to support yourself in retirement. And that, that's where superannuation comes in. Now, we've been sold the idea that superannuation is going to look after you long term. Now, whenever I've done property, and whenever I've done business, I say, here I am now, this is where I want to end up, and I have a goal. And it's a solid goal, okay? If I want to build a house, I find a block of land, I find a builder, I come up with a design, I know the structure, I know the steps that go through to actually get to a, a million dollar property. All right, I know who to finance with the whole lot. The way we've been sold super at the moment is, okay, put your 10.5% in your industry super fund, and in the next 30 or 40 years, it'll increase. Where For me, that's not a set plan. That's a hope and a wish. But in property, if you can build the right type of property inside your super fund, which you can now, um, you can buy, you can say, okay, I've got 300,000 with myself and my wife in our super. We can set up a self-managed super fund and we can turn that $380,000, whatever it is, into a property asset today that's high cash flow and positively geared. So already, like one of my staff, she, her and her husband took $385,000 in their super. They purchased a $1.1 million high cash flow property. And so, and that'll be, that'll be finished completion towards the end of this year. So now if they do nothing else, their plan is they'll have a, a $1.1 million property that's being paid off by the tenants inside their super fund paying 15%. If they do nothing else, they'll have a million dollar 
if, 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 nothing help, if nothing goes up, they'll have a million dollar asset in their super fund paid off, returning them in that one, it's about $100,000 a year rental income because it's a high cash flow property. And so now they've actually got a plan, a solid plan in property in how to retire. The name one contract property comes from how they provide one single contract over a property, making it convenient and easy for their clients. However, the list of benefits doesn't end there. Like one contract property, we allow you to now build any property you like, anything that you and your advisors believe is the best thing for you and you can go to any of the builders around Australia, Simmons, GJ Gardner, Rawson, Celebration or any other smaller builders, right? you can choose them. Now, you can, because they're land and house packages, so you buy the block of land and you purchase the house under another contract, that process in itself is illegal. You can't do that in super. What our company does, we take those two contracts and we settle on the land and we settle with the builder and we pay the builder all their progress payments. So from their side, it stays a two-part contract and that's why any builder will love it. At the same time, we issue a single-part contract to your self-managed super fund and you end up owning the completed property as a completed property. And so now... It, it opens up that whole market. Hempstead liquidated everything when he formed the business and funds 65% of every single property that comes through. While all is well and good now, there was one asset he let go of that didn't go over well. And now we're, we're doing a couple of hundred different properties around Australia in the business already. And so I literally got out of everything that I had um, I even sold my wife's 100 series Sahara. Oh, sorry, 200 series Sahara. She was really happy about that. No, she, like Adele, she's been really supportive on, on everything we've done. Um, and so, yeah, so all of our money's in, in property, but it's inside one contract property. And so I've literally put skin in the game, supporting what we're doing. And I suppose my, my goal in what we're doing is... I'm really excited because of what we've developed in one contract property in literally changing generational wealth for everybody across Australia. So they can they can now choose some really high quality cash flow properties inside their superannuation. They get paid off, put additional money into their super, and when they get to retirement, they're actually they're living off property, and so they're not living off the government pension. If they do it right, like Susie, she'll have she's on a fairly fairly solid investment plan on with her financial advisors, but she'll end up with like $700,000 inside a super fund as in income coming in each year because of like she'll have seven properties, high cash flow, and she's built all of them inside a super because you can now choose, have that choice. I mean, like you think to yourself, if you're getting 700000 say per annum for, for income, you know, you're pretty much, you're, you're set for the rest of your life and you can pass that on, I guess, to your, to your kids. And see, that, that's the intergenerational wealth that I'm talking about because you can have a great retirement and a great lifestyle in retirement and not be eating away at the capital, all right? You live it, you, you pass away, you die, and then the assets are still there fully paid off and you can pass those on to your kids or your grandkids. It'll probably be your grandkids at that stage. But generational, now we're actually changing the mentality. And so even people that have... Um, that are full-time renters, they've never owned anything, but they've got good jobs and they've got good super fund balances, they can they can now become property investors through their super. 
because they can use that super and they can now in, buy, build a high cash flow property and have that being paid off by the tenants. So when they get to retirement, they've actually got property now giving them a lifestyle income week in, week out. So it, it opens up that whole market to everybody. No two people's situations or finances are the same. So it's important to speak to your financial planner or accountant to make sure the journey you're on is the right one for you. If you've got capital growth, you can then draw down the equity and then reinvest into another property. Inside Super, you can't do that. And this is why you need to talk to um, a good accountant, good financial planner, and I will have a quick word on that. Um, so your structure is correct. You know where you're hitting, you know you've got your end goals, um, but they're using the money that's coming in um, to be able to set yourself up so you can, if you want to, you can buy your next second and third and fourth property with your super. But that, that's all done through a self-managed super fund. So you set that up, you literally take the money out of your industry super funds, put it into a self-managed super fund, and now you control where that money goes and what you invest that money into. All right. But in saying that, you do, you do need to have some good quality professionals around you. And I'll, I'll I suppose, have a, a caveat here. People talk about getting financial advice. Now, financial, I'm saying 80% of financial advisors, if you go to talk to them, cannot legally talk to you about property. So you need to understand their biases and how they get paid. So when you go to get financial advice, ask the questions. One, how much are you into property? Can you advise on property? Right? If they can't, then you've got a decision whether you continue down the path getting advice from that person or you go and find someone that can advise you about property and shares and insurances and they can advise you correctly, in my opinion. And this is an opinion, but if you're getting advice, you need to be getting advice from people that have trod the path that you're looking to tread and that legally guide you in that path. Hempstead began his professional life with an exceptional pair of mentors by his side. Over the past six years, he's also found some mentors in the form of courses and an international acquaintance. Option courses, um, negative gearing courses, property courses with a range of different people. I've always had business mentors during the process and my biggest one, I suppose, um, when I started one contract property, I reached out to a guy called Grant Cardone. Um, he's an American. Um, he, he's, he's unique. Um, but he, he knows what he's talking about in property. Um, so I got a lot, of, a lot of guidance from him. I actually met him. I, I paid to um, mentor with him as well. Um, but, yeah, that, that was probably the biggest influence in my life over the last um, few years on that side. He talks about um, cash flow and making sure the property's cash flow. And, look, he, he's into multifamily, like apartments and that sort of stuff. But looking at properties that cash flow positively, all right? So whether they're a duplex, um, a dual key, a rooming house or a, um, a co-living property, NDIS property, those, those sort of properties that are high cash flow um, and that whether there's one tenant, two tenants, three tenants and looking at that structure of it. When it comes to the NDIS, he describes it as a unique beast where it's crucial to approach it as though you're the NDIS participant. If people are promoting 15% returns in NDIS, they're lying to you. All right. There you have NDIS is a unique beast. You have to look at that through the participant's eyes. Right? Because the asset 
and this might sound nasty, the asset isn't the house. The asset is the individual participants that you're looking to put in the house because they're the ones that have got the cash attached to them from the government. All right, so if you provide an asset, as in the house, that provides the best quality of accommodation for that participant, now you've got a long-term asset where a lot of people that are out there marketing NDIS are marketing four-bedroom HPS, high physical support property, telling you make all this money, but you're never going to get four HPS participants in that house because it's not the right thing for the participants. So in that case, you've got to look at it from the participants' eyes and what they need, provide that requirement, and then you've got a long-term tenant and therefore you've got security in that asset. I call it a karma investment because the NDIS property, can it will make you good return if it's done correctly. But on the other side, you're actually changing one or two people's lives. Like they, they would never have that opportunity if you don't invest, all right, and it's done correctly. So yes, you make some amazing returns as an investor, but you also, you actually touch people's lives and you change people's lives that you might, you'll probably never even see but you've given them a quality of life that they're not having right now. If, say, for example, we take a step back and met yourself, say, 10 years ago and you had a chance to say, you know, hey, Raymond, how are you doing? What would you have said to him? Listen more to advisors and don't be so pig-headed. You don't sound like that, though, to be honest. I mean, we, we've had a very, very in-depth conversation and I, I feel like as though you're, yeah, you, you surround yourself with great people. <laughs> I, I did, but, and, and that's been a progress an education over that period of time and I was fairly headstrong. I have been fairly headstrong most of my life. Um, but, yeah, get surround, surround yourself with better quality people. What do you see yourself and, and most excited about, say, in the next, say, five years for yourself and, you know, the business and the family? Business and the family, like I'm really excited about what we're doing at One Contract Property and how we're changing generational wealth in that side of it, um, how, how much team's growing I'm really, like I love being in business um, I love being in business to be able to change people's lives um, I want to get into with some of my stuff I want to get into some property development um, as in land subdivisions and building some of my own um, rooming houses and own some of the social housing on that side of it um, so in the next five years we'll push down from a private side just on that um, and develop that up but while we still continue to grow um, the one contract property side of things. How much of that do you think of that success that you've achieved now has been due to your um, intelligence, your hard work and your skill and how much of it do you think has been due to luck? If you think about luck and being hit by a motorbike, I don't know if that's lucky or not, but in, it's like what's good luck and what's bad luck. It's depending on how you look at it at the point in time. Like at, at my motorbike accident, could have been seen as bad luck. But if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be sitting here today with you having a great business and building amazing properties around Australia. So, um, but then if I hadn't have had the goals set for myself, I wouldn't have had the, my eyes open enough to be able to see the opportunities that are coming across from me. Like, I don't know, I use this example, like if you've ever gone out and looked for a car, um, I know my wife, when, when we started looking for Land Cruisers, seven, ten years ago, I'd never seen them. And then we said, okay, I flew down to Adelaide, I saw one, yep, okay, I, I purchased it. Literally the next day there were hundreds of Saharas around. It was because my eyes had been opened to a goal. They were always around. 
And so we get so so focused on our day-to-day lives because we don't open up our eyes and look for different opportunities, we miss them. So is that luck? I, I just think we don't set enough, a big enough vision for ourselves. Thank you to Raymond Hempstead, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.